0: All right, welcome everybody today. Uh, thank you for joining us for the Library is Open podcast. We have with us today Micah Kennedy Stevens. Uh, she is the seminary librarian and assistant professor at Lancaster Seminary. Welcome, Micah. Hi, Jesse. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, Nate and I are both excited um, for you to join us today. We've been looking forward to this all month. Uh, my name is Jesse Zero, and we have with us Nate Carula. Hey, Hello. All right, so let's start it off with our libraries open podcast. Micah, tell us about yourself.
1: Uh, so, uh, as you said, I'm seminary librarian and assistant professor of theological librarianship here at Lancaster Theological Seminary. We're located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, heart of Amish country. <laughs> uh, I've been here for three years. Uh, it seems like a lot longer, and I've done a lot in those three years. Um, I started out in librarianship as a cataloger. And uh, from there, I worked as a consultant for church libraries and also doing some information systems and communications work. Uh, And then I came here.
0: Awesome. So um, tell us, what was your um, experience using your previous system that made you want to switch to open source?
1: So, um, when I came, when I first came here uh, three years ago, I, well, even when I was interviewing, I, uh, one of the first things I looked at was the OPAC and uh, could see that it looked kind of old. Um, So, after I got here, I found out that the library was using uh, library.solution from TLC. Uh, that was the uh, ILS that the library had adopted when it first automated in 1996, and uh, it looked like it was still 1996. That's so so um, um, it's a you know it's a proprietary system, and of course, uh, with most proprietary systems, you know you've got these license agreements, and they increase in cost uh, several percent every year. And so the cost for the system had really kind of risen above uh, what our budget was able to sustain. Um, uh, like I said, the user interface looked like it hadn't changed since the 90s. Um, so the OPAC, that meant the OPAC was not uh, responsive. You know, so any users trying to uh, connect with a mobile device, a tablet, a phone, uh, really had a hard time using the OPAC. Um the, all the staff modules had to be installed on individual computers. Uh and we had a limited number of licenses for those. So that meant when I needed to catalog something, I had to go to a different computer at a different desk in order to catalog. <laughs> um and um yeah, there were also just a lot of quirks. With, um, with how it worked, especially since now we were doing RDA instead of AACR2, and the software hadn't really caught up to that. Um, and so, and workflows were really clunky, and of course, customer service was absolutely awful. So, um, you know, really, in my first month, I realized this was not a system that I wanted to invest much time in uh, either learning or trying to improve. Excellent. So what made you decide to go the Koha route? So um, I actually had some previous experience with Koha. I had installed it on a standalone computer in a church library that I was working with back in 2006. Uh, So I already knew uh, that Koha was a strong, solid product. Uh, and that there was a huge um, user and support base for it. So uh, when I started gathering quotes, you know, thinking about, okay, an ILS migration is definitely in my future. How are we going to do this? So I, I went and tried to collect some quotes. Um, Ex Libris never even wrote me back. Um, so I think that was kind of telling. They they probably knew we're not the product for that library, <laughs> Um, and uh, so I, I had looked into uh, Liblime Coha, uh, because I had remembered kind of running into them back in 2006, and uh, the quote I got from them was almost identical to what we were already paying for our proprietary ILS. And so since that was already kind of beyond what our budget could sustain, I knew that wasn't the solution for us either. So um, did a little bit more searching and found Bywater. And uh, Nate, I think you were the first one I talked to, and uh, we were able to work out a contract that um, worked for both of us. And we were uh, signed up in July, which was my second month on the job, and we went live in December. It was a really smooth process. It's great. It's great. I love how you. Came into the job and took charge and made the <laughs> for the library right away. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, Micah, tell us a little more, like, how, how did this move to an open source ILS really open the door for you to use other open source, you know, options within the library?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I really think, you know, I, I, I did kind of have an edge because I had some previous experience with open source. Um, But, really, for any librarian um, who comes into open source, um, you know, moves to Koha, you know, with the backing of a a great support company like Bywater, it's a great way to get acclimated to the open source community. Um, You know, the experiences that you have uh, using the open source product and then being involved in the community uh, that kind of um, gathers around that uh, solution, you, those experiences and the skills that you learn can be transferred to other open source solutions, Um, you know, communities around open source solutions kind of self organize in very similar ways. Uh, So you can, you know, once you get kind of, um, once you figure out kind of how Koha works, you can easily move to something else and find a very similar type of community dynamic. So I really feel like it it builds confidence um, to try new things. And so, you know, for me, trying out an open source solution for another aspect of the library services became a calculated risk that made a lot of sense. So um, and it also, um, you know, my small budget was definitely a motivating factor as well. but that's you know that's kind of all what kind of went um, kind of backed my uh, decision making, uh, and we wound up adopting two additional open source systems within the six months after we went live with Koha. So um, the one of those was Omeka that we adopted for our digital archive. Um, that was actually a migration from DSpace. Uh, which is another open source um, system. Um, But I, again, Omeka was an open source product that I had some previous experience with. I had set it up for an organization that I had consulted with. Um, The the actual migration process to Omeka actually happened a lot faster and a lot sooner than I wanted it to, um, because we had an unexpected server failure. And oh, <laughs> lost. We, we lost DSpace completely. Um, the hard drive, like, physically would not function anymore. <laughs> so, um, but because I was already planning to make that move, I was able to kind of um, implement that plan ahead of schedule. Uh, purchased a Linux web hosting contract with a company that offered one-click installation of Omeka and uh, was able to get the site theme customized and uh, was able to restore approximately 120 uh, digital files in a six-week window. Wow. So that was, that was Omeka. And um, over, so in the summer, this was about June, July of 2015, uh, we decided to uh, adopt Subjects Plus, which is an open source uh, system for library guides and the reason why I um, decided to do that is because I I had been trying to use our institution's website to kind of um, collect all the information we needed with you know like our A to Z list of databases and you know various tutorials and and things like that but it was really yeah, you know, and I I know web design, and I know HTML and CSS and all that, and but it was still even knowing <laughs> the code, it was still very cumbersome trying to create all of that content from scratch for each page. <clears throat> so. Um, you know, and, of course, I go to library conferences and I see all these librarians talking about SpringShare's LibGuides and just how great and wonderful it is. And, oh, look at what you can do with LibGuides. And I'm looking at that saying, I don't have a budget for that. So, um, so I started looking around you know, and saying, hmm, I wonder if there's an open source option. And uh, that's how I found Subjects Plus. And, um, you know, again, it, it met all my criteria. It's under active development. Uh, there's a strong user community for it. It's, you know, it's not as strong as the user community for Omeka and for Koha, uh, but it's still a pretty strong user community, and there are several institutions, some pretty big name institutions across the country that are using it. Um, so again, calculated risk. Um, I was able to install it behind Omeka so that I didn't have an additional server cost. Um, you know, which kind of then plays into all of that, um, and, um, was able to make it work. So, um, and uh, over time working with it, you know, it took me a little, a little more time to kind of figure out how to, how to tweak it and make it fit our needs. Um, but it was through, um, working with subjects plus that I learned how to work in a development environment. Uh, So that I could kind of have a version of Subjects Plus in a development environment where I could really try different things out um, and get it working just the way I want it to work before then transferring those um, changed files over into my production environment. Fantastic. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, any discovery
0: layer um, functionality that you have in your library. And then also, um, if you
1: could touch on how you rolled training out uh, for all of these different products uh, to your users and staff members throughout this process. Sure. So um, the discovery, so we do have a discovery layer. Uh, We use uh, EBSCO Discovery Services. And um, I made that decision after attending a a webinar that uh, Bywater and EBSCO Co-presented that really, I really um, really liked how EDS uh, can integrate into Coha. That was a big selling point for me. We had already tried out WorldCat Discovery. Uh, We had an existing WorldCat subscription that I. converted to a Discovery subscription without any additional costs. So we had been trying that out and using it. Um, But it really, as far as maximum usability and maximum um, appeal uh, for our users, I really felt like we needed uh, a Discovery layer that could integrate seamlessly with the OPAC. we had all, you know, I mean, again, this was within a year of uh, migrating to Koha. So my users had already had a major uh, shift going from the old opac to Koha. And so, you know, again, I didn't want to throw too much change at them all at once. Um, so, you know, again, being able to kind of use discovery from the same Opaq, um interface was was huge from a huge consideration for me um, it was actually um, when we first got discovery and got it implemented and in place it was actually a pretty quiet rollout I didn't you know do a lot of fanfare like I did when we um, when we migrated to Koha um, and that's primarily because we found out during that adoption and test phase that the EDS API plugin that we use in Koha it was allowing users off-site access to EDS who weren't supposed to have offsite access <laughs> and so you know again, trying to be um, very um, tr- just trying to be aware of. The license agreements and not wanting to say, oh, look, you can access all of our stuff no matter where you are or who you are. Um, so, you know, just trying to be a little more quiet and only pushing it um, to the folks who are licensed, uh, that we're licensed to, to offer it to. So, um, training really is focused on mostly on these one shot class presentations. And I also do a series of library workshops. Uh, this year was our first year of doing library workshops uh, in person and then concurrently via webinar. Uh, so we would uh, you know, do these presentations in person, uh, got a smart board display, and uh, we would also have uh, webinar participants on, online at the same time, listening and watching the, the screen presentation. As we were doing it, and we record those and uh, post them in our library guides, wow. so that they um, they have those to to refer to later on.
0: So, Michael, were you going into the classrooms and doing the the talks, or were you doing it in the library where students would also come in and then watch, you know, live via webinar? Both. Wow. Both. Great. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so every now and then, I you know, I'll. Uh, work with a professor who has a research project and they want me to come in and talk to their class and you know usually um, I present EDS you know in discovery searches as your first step because it's a way to search everything all at once and um, you know one of the things that we were able to do after we migrated the digital archive to omeka is um, I was able to install an um, OAI PMH um, re- uh, repository plugin in Omeka, so now EBSCO is not only getting updates from Koha, but it can also grab all of our records from the digital archive on a on a regular basis, and I think it's I think they're both daily, uh, just once a day, but. Um, so, so now the EDS searches, it's everything that's in COHA, everything that's in Omeka, everything uh, that we subscribe to uh, through EBSCO. We were also able to link uh, some of our other um, electronic resource subscriptions that we have, uh, like with Project Muse and Oxford, uh, we were able to get those linked into the EDS searches as well. And then they give you uh, a wide range of options for making open access content available. So then I'm not having to track down a bunch of open access um, resources and put those in Koha. They're already in EDS for me. So, um, yeah.
0: Oh, Micah, I'm thinking Rockstar, librarian data <laughs> open source advocate (laughs) just rocking it so you you told us about like the the switch to open source like implementing other products we talked about the discovery layer what about authentication how does that tie into the mix
1: so authentication has been um we've definitely had a journey with authentication here um you know we've always used ip authentication for on-campus users Uh, But getting off-campus access has always been a challenge. Um, When I came, uh, we were using referring URL technology. And um, initially, it was um, you had to log in to your student records account, so the system that you use to register for your classes. That was where you would log in to get a link that would get you to EBSCOhost. And that's the only thing that you would get. So, um, you know, when I came and we added uh, Oxford Biblical Studies Online and we, uh, we added Project Muse uh, databases, um, you know, I, and I really didn't want them going to the student records system to access library resources. I want them to go to the library system to access library resources. Um, so, what we did was we set up referring URL. Um, within the links, uh, or within the OPAC note uh, in Koha, So they would log into their patron account, and they would see their OPAC note, and that's where they would find the links. Um, They would find a link to EBSCOhost, a link to Project Muse. Oxford Biblical Studies Online was a username and password solution. They did not like referring URL. Uh, So we had to say, here's the username and password. So all of that was in the, in the OPAC note and that, um, just want to do a shout out. I want to thank you all at Bywater for helping us with, uh, developing the, uh, the ability to add the OPAC note to the batch patron modification tool. So we were, uh, you were able to kind of put that together for us and we funded it. And so, uh, because for the longest time I was having to go individually to each patron account to change that OPAC note um, or add it or delete it or you know do whatever. So so now we now other libraries have the ability to, to modify those in batch. So, yay. <laughs> so um so anyhow, um, but most recently um, you know some librarians may have heard about uh, Open Athens. Uh, which is um authentication solution by EduServe, which is a, a company in the UK that has recently partnered with EBSCO. So we are one of the early adopters of Open Athens, and um there were there were two things that really appealed to me. One was that um you get all of your statistics, your usage statistics are all collected in one place on the Open Athens dashboard. Uh, so for a solo librarian like myself who, you know, has to keep up with statistics and do uh, survey reports and all that kind of stuff, you know, trying to chase down statistics in multiple different places is a huge headache and I don't like it. So um, being able to see all of those statistics on one screen is really helpful. And um, the other uh, was this, um, this promise that Open Athens can integrate with EDS, which will then integrate with COHA, um, which has a huge potential of um, making the user experience for accessing these resources uh, you know, a lot smoother and a lot better. So um, we implemented Open Athens in February so just a couple months ago, and it's gone very well. Um, I've been able to provide off-campus access to a lot more online content than previously and even more online content than I thought we had. Um, So basically basically every single um, electronic journal subscription that we have I'm able to give our students off-campus access to those publisher websites. So it's not just through EBSCO, but also to those publisher websites. Um, there's even uh, the Open Athens and EBSCO folks have been able to really help with um, creating uh, logins and you know, doing all this stuff behind the scenes, uh, even for resources that require a username and password login. Uh, so that we don't have to tell our students that username and password they get it um, Just you know by clicking clicking through open Athens and then logging in and then they just get passed right on through so um, So yeah, so I'm really excited about that and there's um, Some there's project in the works uh, that we're signed up to be uh, beta testers for that will allow um, Open Athens and the EDS API for Koha to uh, work seamlessly together. So I am sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for that one.
0: <laughs> I mean it makes it so much easier easier for the students when you know it's one click rather than five or six clicks to get to what they're looking for. So
1: power to you, Micah. <laughs> Make it easier. yeah, that's great. So what's next on on the docket for you? So um, we are in the final stages of launching yet another open source uh, solution. This one's gonna be for managing our internal electronic records. Um, It's gonna be used across all departments here at the seminary, so it's just for internal uh, kind of record keeping and archiving. Um, That uh, product is called Resource Space. And it's, uh, it's designed to be a digital asset management system. Uh, but in addition to handling the audio and the video and the photo um, files, it also handles text documents and handles them quite well. Um, in our trial phase, I found out that the um, metadata harvesters uh, that are part of the, the package can collect Metadata, including full text of documents that you load into the system, and indexes all of that for searchability. So um, I thought that was pretty huge uh, for you know trying to come up with some kind of internal record records repository for our electronic and uh, born digital records. So um, the the reason why it's still kind of on hold right now is that I'm uh, Waiting for a, an opening in my schedule to uh, to really devote some time to figuring out how I can get the program to store the actual files on a different file server uh, because that's going to help us save a lot of money on storage space because um, right now um, you know we've got everything uh, moved over to Amazon uh web services servers and so all of the space that i have allocated for this on an ec2 server is a lot more expensive than if i could um send the files to say an s3 bucket so that's that's i'm fingers crossed hoping i can figure that one out and um once i do or once i decide that it's not possible, then um, I'll be able to start developing all the training documentation and uh, get the staff here trained on how to use that. It's fantastic, and I think it's great that um, you're living proof that the misconception that exists that you need a very large IT staff in order to implement an open source solution is a fallacy, and we love to see that, so my hat's off to you. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, I will say I enjoy working with the systems and, you know, it's a little, um, I find it to be a a good challenge. Um, and I like learning more about, um, you know, the information systems and learning how they work. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just, they're transferable skills, um, that you learn, you know, you, so what you, Invest in one product can easily be transferred to another product and then you just continue growing and continue learning. Um, So it's been exciting and um, I just I can't wait to see what the future brings.
0: Awesome. Micah, you're inspiring to all of us and to probably all of our listeners out there. Um, if anyone has questions, I'm sure Micah would be happy to um, share some knowledge with you about the switches that she's made um, uh, you know, to some of these other open resources. And Micah, we'd just like to say thank you so much for joining us today on the Library is Open podcast. It's been wonderful to hear what you're working on um, at the seminary. Yes, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks to all our listeners out there. If you have any questions, please let us know. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time on the Library is Open podcast. Nate, Micah, thank you.